good to see you. It's good to see you. Good to be seen. Good to be seen by you as well. Um, my name is R.D. I'm one of the pastors here uh, on, on staff, and I uh, want to say uh, hello to those of you watching uh, in the future tomorrow morning uh, in the chapel service. Uh, hope you have a great service tomorrow morning. And also a special uh, service tomorrow up at our North Campus where Pastor Ross is. They're doing baptisms tomorrow, and uh, so we just celebrate that. And it's also, it's uh, Pastor Ross's birthday. And so I heard that they may dunk him in the tank after. I, I just made that up myself. So now they have to, you have to do it. It has to, I'm just staring at you until you just take him over. Okay, good. Um, that's the power I have with the mic here. So, um, and it's good to see all of you in the room as, uh, as well. We are beginning a new series. So everything now has been simplified, right? Everything is finally simple. And now we can move on from that to other other things. If you have a Bible, you can grab it. It'll be in the book of Colossians, the book of Colossians. If you have a Bible on your phone, uh, which you do, if you have the internet, it'd be great to have it because we're going to be going verse by verse through the book most of the time until that would just take too long. But especially the first uh, section here, verses one through 14 of chapter one. And so it's helpful to also be able to follow along as we're reading through it because then it helps us learn how to read the Bible as well. Then you're not just hearing me say it like that may or may not be true, but then you can read along as, as well. And so we're calling the series Colossians, the beauty of Jesus. We have a beautiful uh, graphic, which just, I really, really uh, love that our communications team and Becky Smith actually helped put together. And this series is about the book of Colossians. And the book of Colossians, more so, I think, than any other book, elevates the beauty and the majesty of Jesus um, uh, above anything else. And so we're diving in over the next six weeks, and we're working through the first 14 verses here. And as we get into the book, we'll just uncover who's writing it, who's it written to, and why it is being written, and all that fun background, exciting stuff. Okay, verse 1. Here we go. Paul. An apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. Okay, stop there. I told you we're going verse by verse. So we're not even through the first verse, and I've already stopped you. So hopefully we'll not be here. We'll see. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. So Paul is who is writing it with Timothy, who we'll read about le later, right in this next section of verse 1. And Paul, as a backstory on him, used to be called Saul, and he was a zealous uh, Jewish leader who didn't believe that Jesus was the revelation of God, thought that this was an affront to Judaism. And so anyone who believed in this, who was saying this is God, is someone that should be persecuted. And so Paul, because he did love the God, especially right of the Old Testament, and thought Jesus is not God. Anyone who claims to believe in that should be persecuted. And so Saul, he persecuted the church for years and years and years until God saved him and rescued him in Acts chapter 9. And then he went from being an enemy of the church to being the lead church planter of the entire church and writing the majority of the New Testament. Right, this is what grace does. It takes the most unlikely of people and it makes them Christians. And so Paul is writing this letter to uh, a church in Colossae, and he's writing it with uh, someone named Timothy. And so it says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, we'll just note that, that, that it's by the will of God that Paul's made an apostle. An apostle means someone who's actually seen the risen Jesus. So there are only a very few people who could be called apostles, and Paul is one of them because he actually saw Jesus even though it was after his resurrection. 
So Paul saw him and, and he writes that it was by the will of God that I became an apostle. Not by my will. It wasn't my decision. I didn't sign up for this team. God in his grace saved me and rescued me. And it was by his will and not my will that he has made me an apostle. And he's joined by his brother, Timothy. And Timothy would be almost, if you will, like little Paul. So Paul is the elder statesman. He's the older, the older man. He's been around a while. He's, he's got the beard. He's got, the, he's got intellectual brilliance all over the map. And Timothy, probably in his 20s, has recently become a Christian, is learning the trade of being a pastor, being a leader from Paul. And so they're often together. You kind of have Paul and then Timothy, and Timothy one day will help lead the church after Paul is gone. And so they're writing this letter to, verse 2, to God's holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Father. And so it's written to a group of Christians living in the city of Colossae, which is in modern-day Turkey. It was a smaller city in the first century, but still one that was in the Roman Empire. And besides the people who were at the church here, there were no Christians. So there weren't like multiple churches in Colossae. There's one church, and it's this church. And Paul writes and says, you are God's holy people, which doesn't mean that they are uh, holy in the sense of that they're holier than thou, but that God's grace has come to them and made them holy and blameless and pure. That's their identity now. And so the holy people in Colossae, the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ. And so we see from the very beginning that the church has always been a family. It's not a business. It's not really a nonprofit, though it is. It's a family. It's brothers and sisters. People that should, would never be brothers and sisters outside of the kingdom of God have come together and become one family. And how have they done that? Paul says in the next two words, in Christ in Christ. So they're in Colossae, that's their city. But their truer identity, their truer location is that they're in Christ. And they're brothers and sisters because Christ has united them. And to be in Christ means that you're united to him. That's your fundamental identity now. You're no longer united to Adam, our first parent. You're united now to Jesus. Everything that's true of Jesus, that, that he's loved by God and accepted by God, is true of you if you are in Christ if you've turned from your sin. And so Paul says, this is what makes people that sometimes don't even like each other, or can't stand each other, brothers and sisters. They've become family by the grace of Jesus. And then he just lays it out there at the end of verse two, grace and peace to you from God our Father. So grace, uh, this unmerited favor, this radical, crazy generosity of God to just have grace toward us, to have love towards us, even when we don't do anything for him. And then peace which is the kind of the Hebrew word for shalom, meaning wholeness or, or peace, reconciliation. Paul says, I want all of you to have both these things. I want you to have grace and peace, and this grace and peace comes from God our Father. And so all in two verses, he's already done so much work. We could just preach on this for the rest of the time, but we aren't going to be in the series for two years, and so we have to keep moving. But already we've seen that Paul's the writer, Timothy's the writer. He's, he, they, they are the authors of this. They're writing to a, a young church trying to figure out what's going on. And we're not, we're not sure exactly why Paul is writing this letter. There's not a lot of rebuke in it like there are some other letters, but we think that there's likely people within the church who are changing the message of the gospel. And oftentimes the threat for the church comes from within the church and not from outside of the church. And so there are people who are in the church who are saying that we believe in Jesus and we believe in grace, but we believe that you've got to do more than that in order to really be saved or really be a, a faithful brother or sister. So grace, yes, but grace plus. And Paul's saying, no, that's terrible math. 
This is, this is bad math, because any time that you add anything to grace, you actually subtract from it and make it meaningless. But they're saying there's got to be more knowledge, there's more things to do, it's kind of an addition to grace. So Paul is coming in, he's writing to the Colossians saying, no, 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 it's always grace, it's only Jesus, it's only him. He is sufficient for everything. And if we get off on someone else being sufficient or doing something else, we're not understanding the true gospel. And so Paul, as always, is just laser-focused on trying to help a young church find its way in an empire. Verse 3 through 8, Paul then is going to be thankful for this beautiful congregation of men and women. In verse 3, he says, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, because we've heard of your faith in Christ and the love you have for all God's people. Verse 5, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven about what you have already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. And so Paul says here, he's being thankful for them and grateful for them. He's saying the true message of the gospel has come to you. Not a false message, not a fake message. The true unadulterated gospel has come to you. And the gospel is simply this. It's the good news of Jesus. Now, there's a lot more to that. There's more we could unpack there. It's the most glorious news of all. But simply put, it's the good news of Jesus. It's the good news. Gospel literally means good news. It's the grace of God. The gospel is the grace of God. That what we could not do for ourselves, God did by sending Jesus to rescue us and save us and make us part of his family. That, that's the true message of the gospel. And it's come to the church in Colossae. It's come to them. And what Paul says is that because you've heard the gospel, you've become then hope-shaped people. The gospel's come to you, and now hope has exploded in your heart. And this hope is giving rise to faith and to love, the Christian virtues of faith, hope, and love together right there in just two verses. And so as Christians, we, we should be, we, we can be hope-shaped people. And not just hope like, I hope I get a good grade on this test. Or I hope it doesn't rain tomorrow, but I have no idea. Hope like, I know what's going to happen in the future. I, I have complete confidence that Jesus Christ will return for us, renew the entire world, and we will rule and reign with him. So no matter what happens to me in this life, my future is secure. That's hope. Because death can't take it away. Nothing can take it away. And Paul says, because you've heard the gospel, you know your life now matters and your life will matter forever. And this gospel message, this grace, this good news is just is springing up in you, these hope waters, which are flowing out and making you have this radical faith in Jesus and this crazy love for other people in your church. So that hope is not just, oh, I, I hope that it works out, but it has no effect on my life. If you, whatever it is that you're hoping for drives how you live your life now. Right? Everyone here is shaped by hope. It just depends on what you're hoping in or what you're not hoping in. But however you view what the future is will impact how you live now. And Paul says you, are no, you know the gospel, the hope that is coming for you in Jesus. And that is the reason that you love people the way you do. That's the reason you love Jesus the way that you do. And of course, then Paul says, I'm so grateful and thankful for the hope you have. You've heard the gospel. It's changed you. You love Jesus so dearly. You love other people so tenderly. Only the gospel does that. Only the gospel of grace creates people like that. 
Paul says in the, in the same way, this same gospel is verse six, it's bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it has been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. You learned it from Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is a faithful minister of Christ on our behalf, and who also told us of your love in the spirit. And so here, here we see the gospel has come to the church in Colossae, but it's also spreading throughout the entire world. And how has it come to the city of Colossae? How did the gospel get there? Did it come through a bird? Did it come through the clouds? No, it came through a person. It came through Epaphras. See, Epaphras is this, this person that you may not ever have heard about in the Bible unless you're reading Colossians, and then you probably would forget about him after you read about it because he's, his name's, well, he's in there one other time in the Bible, but he's not there a lot. He's not like Paul and Timothy and, you know, those people. But Epaphras was someone who at some point in his life had become a Christian, right, because no one's actually born a Christian, Everyone, by God's grace, becomes one because he wants us to. And so at some point, God's grace had invaded his life. Some people think that maybe he went to Ephesus or Philippi and heard Paul preach and had his life totally changed. And he went back to his home city and just began evangelizing people. Here's the gospel. God changed my life. I want him to change your life. Because it says the message, they heard the message, which means it had to be shared. And so the gospel message came through Epaphras. His life was changed, and then other lives were changed because of him. And I love what it says here. It says not only did they hear the gospel message, but they understood it. They truly understood it. So it wasn't just that they heard it and thought, oh, how, how nice. But they, it went into their heart. It totally changed them from the inside out. Now, what's the difference? I think you know, but I'll say it this way. There, there's knowing... And then there's knowing, right? Uh, I'll use this illustration. I, I think I've used it before, but what are you going to do? I went out to the uh, Grand Canyon. I've been a couple times now. And I went out a couple years ago. And because I'm kind of a book nerd, and uh, I wanted to learn a lot about the Grand Canyon before I went there, so I wouldn't just be standing there like, oh, rock, how cool. Like, I wanted to know more about it, like how it, it was created and how long it's been there and how it became a national park and how many people go there and where you can hike. And so I just, reading, I got one of the, the uh, photography books that just has these beautiful pictures of it and research. So when I went out there, we drove across the country from uh, Tennessee all the way uh, to the Grand Canyon. And, when, you know, so I'm like, this is awesome. I'm going to have all this knowledge. It's going to be great. And so we get to the Grand Canyon. It's late in the evening. The sun's setting. And so we get out of our RV because it was just four dudes and we're driving across in an RV, and we get out, and we're all tired, and we're like, let's just go before nighttime. Let's just go catch a glimpse of it. And so we walk out on the rim, and it's late winter, so there are not a lot of people there, and the sun is setting upon the Grand Canyon. And I remember thinking, I thought, oh, this is not like the books. <laughs> like, this is not. The books failed. <laughs> and my mouth was open, and I, it was the first time, I think still the only time in my life where my heart actually skipped a beat. It just, I mean, I just, I could not breathe for a second. Why? Because I was overwhelmed by the beauty of the Grand Canyon. What's Paul saying? He's saying, you can know all about the gospel. You can ace the test. You could, you could memorize Romans. Big deal. And then they're standing at the foot of the gospel and not being able to say anything. Because it's changing. Because it's beautiful. Because it's beautiful. And that's, what, that's, what it, that's the difference between knowing and knowing. And there's so many people that, man, they could, I know at RD, what's, what else do we have? And they, they just, they move on so quickly from the moment, and they don't, they don't marvel at the grace of Jesus, they take it for granted. 
And Paul says, no. There's hearing and there's having it go into your heart. Like there's gospel in your bone marrow. You just, it's in you. It's in you and it changes you. And so you know what I did after I left the Grand Canyon? I became a Grand Canyon evangelist. Like one of the evangelists that just creeps you out because I just had to tell everyone about it. Because I remember telling somebody in one of my classes, I was still in college, I was like, we should put like going to the Grand Canyon on the citizenship test. Like you should have to go there, the government should pay for it, and you should just see it, and then that's the only test you need. Just see it, and you will love America, right? This is like, I was just crazy about it, probably a little weird about it. But what, what happened, right? When you see something beautiful, what do you, you want to share it. You want to tell other people about it. You cannot see something beautiful and say, hmm. When you, when you are just, when you see something beautiful, you have to share it. You, you cannot just keep it inside of you. It has to change you. That, that's what something beautiful does. When you hear a symphony, when you watch a sunset, when you see your children play, you have to share it because it's beautiful. It captures your heart and you can't shut up about it. You know, when we drove out to um, the Grand Canyon, we drove across the state of Kansas. Yeah. <laughs> You know what I didn't become an evangelist for? Was the state of Kansas. God love you if you're from Kansas. I know why you're here. I know why you're here. That, man, eight hours in an RV. Literally, this, I thought, how we, you know, oh my goodness. It was just a way to get to the Grand Canyon. I didn't tell anyone about, I didn't tell anyone about uh, going across Kansas because it was terrible, you know, or not terrible. It was just so boring. Like, it was just so, you know, the same things over and over again. And there's a, lot, there's a lot of people, whether we would say it or not, who treat the gospel like it's Kansas. And it's just so familiar. And it's our way to get to heaven instead of the gospel being the destination itself. That grace, grace is the destination itself. Jonathan Edwards talks about the difference between a Christian and a religious person is that a religious person looks at God and says he's useful, he's helpful. Thanks for this, God. Appreciate your help here. Thanks for answering my prayer here. I love you for the things you do for me. And a Christian looks at God and says he's beautiful. And I don't care if you do anything for me because you, you and who you are are beautiful. And I marvel at your grace and your mercy and your majesty and your love and your holiness. And that'll make you a Christian. And Paul is saying, I am so grateful that you have had the gospel of grace go into your heart. You're standing at the foot of the Grand Canyon and you're just staring into it more and more and more. That's what grace does. There's, there's, nothing, there's nothing like it. And then we become evangelists for it. That's what Epaphras is. He's a faithful minister, and all of us are ministers. All of us here are ministers. If we've been saved by Jesus, rescued by him, then we're sent out so that, that the gospel doesn't terminate with us. There's not like a, um, you know, like it ends, like we're a cul-de-sac. Okay, I received this, this gospel. Amazing God saved me. I'm just going to wait for God to beam me up. That is impossible. Right? If you've really been captured by it, then you'll have to share it because God brings us in then to send us back out to share the beauty we've experienced with other people, to share the grace that we've experienced with other people. And that's the beauty. And so then Paul, what can he say? He says this gospel, verse 6, he says this gospel, this good news, this beautiful Jesus is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world just as it did. It came to you, but now it's growing and growing and growing. So this, this Colossians is written about 30, 35 years after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And at that time, there were multiple cities and communities and countries where the gospel had spread. There are churches in Ephesus and Philippi and Galatia and here in Colossae and Laodicea. All these churches are growing. All kinds of people are becoming Christians. 
right? You have people of different gender becoming Christians, people of different socioeconomic status becoming Christians, people of different ethnicities and races, all, everything that separates people, especially in the Roman Empire, there are communities of light pushing back against the darkness where the Spirit of God is dwelling and the kingdom of God is spreading out because the gospel is more powerful than any person. It's spreading and growing and growing. You cannot stop it. You cannot stop it. It'll grow and grow and grow. And God uses men and women by which to grow it. Because whatever God has done in your life, he wants to do through your life. Whatever the grace has come into your life, he, like Epaphras, I have to share with people in my city. Why? Because I love them. And the question, no longer, the question is no longer a question of fear. How can I share this? I'm afraid. The question becomes one of joy. How can I not share this? How can I not tell other people about this? The gospel breaks down every line that we want to put that separates people. It just breaks right through it like a waterfall. And Paul says it's growing and bearing fruit all over the world because men and women are being changed and then are changing the world. And how do I know? All right, because you're here. <laughs> because you're here. Because the church is still alive. The gospel is still growing. It's amazing. <laughs> it's just amazing. Christians are carriers of grace wherever we go. That's it. We just say, I, I've been saved by Jesus. That's my story. It's amazing. It's amazing. Well, Paul, he spends time in radical thanksgiving and prayer. And then in verse 9, he says, for this reason, as he begins the next section, and that for this reason means what I just talked about, the gospel, grace, amazing grace, transforming grace, for this reason that it's come to you and changed you since the day we heard about you. Verse 9, we've not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. So now Paul, as always, is breaking into prayer because the gospel will make us people that, that pray because we don't, we, where else can we go but to the Lord himself to pray? And so Paul, he's never actually been the Colossae. He doesn't actually know these people personally, but he and Timothy begin to pray. And there's one overarching prayer they're praying. It's like the title of the book of this prayer. And it's what's recorded in verse nine and 10. Paul's praying. He says, I, I'm asking that God would fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Now that's a prayer. He's not praying for their circumstances to change. He's not praying for an end to suffering. He's not praying for things necessarily to get easier. He's, this is basically his prayer. Lord, would you fill us with more of yourself and help us live lives worthy of you? Now that's a prayer. Is that a prayer? Good. Man, that's a prayer. I just, I just thought, what, what, what I pray? So that's the big idea. That is the prayer that kind of centers all other prayers. Lord, really, he's saying, I want God to fill you with more of God. That as we grow in our knowledge of God, of who he is, of what his character is, of what his nature is, of what he's like, that everything else in our life will grow. Because to know him is to know life, but not just to know about him so we can ace a test. Then Paul says, so that the reason we want to grow in knowledge of God is so that we can live lives worthy of God. Because if we know his will, we can know how to follow his way. Right? That's the whole purpose of all. It is not about having a big library of knowledge in your head and impressing other Christians. It is about that your life would look like the life of Jesus. And how does that happen? When you know the heart of God. 
when you know the character of God. So here's the overarching prayer, Colossians, Door Creek. Would you know more of God? And would your life be worthy of him? Because when you, when you are pleasing him, you are filled with joy. You are filled with peace. Not that there aren't storms, but when the storm comes, you still have joy because you know God is good, because you know him. And so that's the overarching idea. And then he's going to break it down into four different marks of a life that, that is, pleases God. Now, there are more marks than this, but we're just preaching through. And so we're going to look at them really briefly here. The big idea, no more of the Lord, live a life worthy of him. How does that happen? Four ways. Number one, at the end of verse 10, Paul says that we'd be people bearing fruit in every good work. The second part is growing in the knowledge of God. So those are the first two marks of someone pleasing the Lord. Bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. And they go together like two sides of a coin. Paul is saying here, my prayer for you is that in all that you're doing, all the work that you're doing, not just church work, all of your life is unto the Lord. Every, your vocation, your hobbies, your parenting, your relationships, your singleness, uh, everything in your life, all of that is to bear fruit for God, is to have your character become more like Jesus and to have more people around you come to know Jesus. And he's praying that more of your life would bear fruit. And then the second thing he says, and as, as you're living for God, that your knowledge of God would grow. And so he comes back to knowledge of God again. And here's, here's what he's saying. It's like a circle. He's saying, as you live for God more, you're going to learn more about God. And as you learn more about God, you'll live for God more. You see, you see the, how he's thinking there? You can't separate them. There's knowing and then there's doing. No, as we learn more about God, we know what holiness is more, right? So knowledge fuels holiness. And then holiness fuels knowledge. It's like this. My wife and I, before we got pregnant, mostly my wife got pregnant. Before that happened, we looked at all these books about parenting. And talk to, other, talk to other people about parenting, you know, people that we trusted, like, help us, help us, because there's so many things to do, what to do, what not to do. But we wanted some type of baseline. We've never been parents before. You know, I remember thinking we we're at the hospital, and we took the girls home. And it was like, I, I, there was more of a test to get my driver's license than to take these girls home. Like, how do they have any idea what type of parent I am? Like, because I'm holding them? Like, I have no, it's unbelievable. Like, you have no idea. But... There is a way in which you can at least have some knowledge of just helpful things to do and not do. And so we were just learning and studying. And so there, there's knowledge, right, about parenting or whatever you want to apply it to. And then there's actually being parents, which then grows your knowledge of what a parent is, right? So as we're parenting, we're learning more about parenting. But we're still trying to help with other knowledge of people wise enough to help us parent better. And Paul says it's the same way. As you learn more about the Lord, you will be able to serve him much better. Much, much not better is not the right word, but much more like Christ. And as you serve him more like Christ, you'll know more about him. Because Christ is God. And so the two sides of the same point, Paul's praying this. He's praying that you would bear fruit and good work. That you would grow in your knowledge of God as you simply work for God, trusting him. God, help me know more about you as I, as I live my life. Okay, number three. Number three, Paul says in verse 11, I'm praying that you would be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience. Paul's praying that, that the Colossians, that us, that we would be strengthened with all the power of God's might so that, here's the reason. So he gives a reason for the prayer. So that we would have endurance and patience. Now, how many of us need help with endurance and patience? Everybody's hand should be raising, Right. If not, yep, there we go. Yep, good, I love it. Um, I love this part of the prayer because 
it, Paul's just saying life is going to be hard and difficult. And there are many of us here, many of you watching uh, in the chapel up, up north in, in the room here that are walking through hard and difficult things where we need endurance and we need patience. And Paul is saying, I don't want you to just in yourself try really hard to endure. I want you to take hold of all that is in you in Christ, that his strength would become your strength so that you can endure whatever it is you are walking through. Because we will walk through hard things in our life. All of us will. Being a Christian does not make you exempt from suffering. In fact, it's a guarantee that you will suffer. But oftentimes, right in America, we just want to avoid that. Because it's so hard, and yet, and yet this, is, this is the way forward. And so, I've said this many times. When we're praying, we, ha- we have to let God's character drive and dictate all of our circumstances. We cannot let our circumstances dictate how we think about God. And if you're growing in your knowledge of God, understanding who he is, his character will drive everything you're walking through. So it doesn't mean that you're going to know everything or understand everything. Only God does. But you will have a heart that says, I do not know why this is happening, why this pain is happening, why this suffering is happening. But this I know. The Lord is good because I know him. I know him. And I know he's good. doesn't mean we can't have questions. doesn't mean we can't get angry or lament. That's most of the Bible. Where the writers are like, why, Lord? And yet you're good. Hold these things together. They don't have to be separated. Paul says, Would you, endurance is about whatever circumstance you're walking through, Jesus is with you. He is with you. That's why the Spirit is inside of you, to walk with you through the darkness. And patience is about the people you're walking through it with, <laughs> which we need. Right? Doesn't, don't we all want people to be patient with us? And then we're, we're just not patient ourselves. <laughs> Our culture is probably the most impatient of all time. We just, we want things right so quickly. And yet, for it is so hard to love people well without being patient. Because people are going to fail you and mess up and disappoint you and hurt you. And if we cannot practice biblical, gospel-centered patience with them, then we aren't understanding what grace is. Because Jesus was patient with us. And he still is. He still is. And so we should be patient with other people. And so this, this could just be whatever it is, praying for someone else, praying for yourself. Would you, Lord, would you fill me with your mighty strength so that I can endure? I can endure. I can endure. That's number three thing he's praying. This is just three of the four. Number four, he says, last thing that Timothy and I are praying for you, my brothers and sisters, are that you would be people that are constantly giving joyful thanks to the Father. Why? for the gospel of grace. Joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. So the final thing there, he's just talked about endurance and patience. And then he says, and give joyful thanks to God the Father, which we don't always put those things together, right? Endurance and patience and joy. And yet in the Christian life, we have to put them together because they're all bound up together, all meshed together beautifully. Paul says, would you be people who are continually, joyfully, all the time, grateful and thankful to God the Father? Why? Because he has qualified you. He has made you a part of the family, not by your effort, not by your work, not by your striving. He's qualified the unqualifiable, if you will. And that's where we can just say, "How I can't be like Epaphras. I can't be like Timothy. I'm just me. Do you even know anything about me? Like I am barely holding my life together. And that's where we just remind ourselves that he has qualified you. You haven't qualified yourself. There's not like some A team and B team for Christianity where it's like the qualified and the quasi-qualified, right? 
No, everyone is qualified who's been saved by grace. Everyone's on the field. Everyone's in the kingdom. Everyone's a minister. Everyone's a servant. Everyone. Everyone. Because it's not, it's not just about the gifts that you bring. It's about the one that gives you the gifts. The one who just empowers his presence in you. And that's why we can have confidence that if I don't know how to share the gospel with someone, I don't know how to do this, I don't know how to do this, just remember that, of course you don't. <laughs> that's why he qualified you. That's why he's here for you, to remind you that you can't, but he is able, that he can, that he has the power to do it. Because that's what he does, that's who he is. That he has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. Verse 13, he's going to come back to the gospel again as always. For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. For he has rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us in to the kingdom of Jesus. In Jesus, you and I have redemption, the forgiveness of all of our sins. And there it is, the gospel again. He wraps this whole first 14 verses in just the gospel. And so what, what he's saying is that you and I were in darkness. We were in the pit. And imagine God literally picking us up and placing us in light. Like he removed us from the pain and the penalty and the darkness and our past. And he placed us into the light by his own power, by his own mercy. No cleaning up of your life necessary. He did it because he wanted to do it so that his grace would be perfected in your weakness and in your pain. It's not about erasing your past. It's about God redeeming all of your past for his glory. So everything that you're walking through in your life is for a purpose. It is. And that's what Paul is, is saying here. This is the gospel. And if this message, if this gospel goes into our hearts, then we will become generous gospel givers. Right? It'll be like a good virus that just spreads everywhere. Everyone we touch, Jesus. Jesus. Even if they don't believe, I'm not saying that they have to believe. That's up to the Lord who comes to faith. It's not our responsibility. Our responsibility is not to convert anyone. It's to love people. The Holy Spirit will do what the Holy Spirit wants to do. He is wiser than us all. And so that we can just rest. But it does mean that God does want to use us to love people and serve people. And so a couple questions just as we close, um, there's, so, there's so much here. Um, but number one is this. Have you experienced this grace? Ha have you? And I think you probably know in your heart whether you have or not. And so if you're not a Christian, I'm just I'm so glad that, that you're here. If you're not sure where you are, then there are plenty of people like you here who aren't sure where they are, who just are figuring things out or just you maybe not even want to be here tonight or this morning, you know, whatever. But if, if you haven't, Whatever the reasons are, grace is the center of Christianity. It's the heartbeat of it. Not, not politics, not all this other, just nonsense. It's grace, 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 grace. That's what Christianity is. And so if you reject Christianity, that is fine. But this is what you're rejecting, grace. Grace that meets us right where we are and changes us. To be people that only God can make us be. That's what, and so that, if you're rejecting it, I understand. Plenty of good reasons. But don't let one of them be because you never heard that. Secondly, if you are a Christian, there, there are, listen, there are always going to be seasons in our life. I'm not saying that every morning you are just by the fire, just weeping as you read the Gospel of John. That is not what I'm saying. What I am saying is, does that ever happen? 
Do you ever feel the Lord on your heart? Because you're just, you're looking into the gospel and grace and you're saying, this wasn't just done for the whole world, it was done for me. It was done for me, sinner though I am, wreck though I am, Jesus Christ saved me. That's what grace is. When you realize how personal it is and also how cosmic it is, it'll change you. And you won't just say, yeah, 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 grace, grace, grace. You won't, you won't even be able to speak it because you'll be at the Grand Canyon just staring, just weeping, whether you actually cry or not. I'm not saying you have to cry. Okay, that doesn't make you a Christian, but you know what I mean. In your heart, you're, actually, you're, you're moved by it. You're moved by it. And, and don't fill your life with all these church programs where you just, you just become inoculated to it. Like it just, in the word, in prayer, with other people in your life reminding you, massaging the gospel into your heart again and again and again. You are a sinner. You are a wreck. So am I. There's grace here at the table. If that's not what church is, then I'm not sure what the heck we're doing here. <laughs> right? That's what Paul is saying. So has that grace melted you? Has it changed you? Secondly, um, if you are a Christian, who are you being an Epaphras to? Who are you sharing the gospel with? Who, 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 who? You know, I, you know who shared the gospel with uh, Timothy? Remember Timothy? Who wrote this letter? A young, young, young dude, 20, 21 years old. You know who shared the gospel with him? His grandmother his mother. It's always the grandmothers, right? <laughs> and I know that because Paul writes about it in 2 Timothy. It'll be on the screen. Paul writes this. He says, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Louise and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you. How amazing is that? How many grandmothers have prayed and prayed and prayed? Never, having no idea what God may do. You do not know what God will do with your prayers. And yet, I can imagine Louise and Eunice just praying and praying. And, and Louise, if she was converted earlier in life, she must have been one of the first Christians. And so, so the second she came to faith in the Lord, she started praying for a grandson she never even knew. Lord, would you maybe use, use my grandson one day, my granddaughter one day? And here we have Timothy riding with Paul. Who are you being a Louise to? Who are you being a Eunice to? Like, my, my primary responsibility as a dad and with my wife is so that our girls will know and love Jesus, right? I do a lot of other things, but if that fails, everything else is pointless to me, that they would know, that they would know. Thirdly, last question, I promise, how is your prayer life? Now, I know that that question can often in church sound like your aunt asking you at Christmas when you come home from college, how's your dating life? <laughs> you just don't want to talk about it. <laughs> you just feel guilty, either for who you're dating or that you're not dating anyone, right? Is it just me? Okay, good. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me in that moment. Um, look, all, all of what Paul is saying here in verses 9 through 14 is a prayer. He's praying. He's not just writing things down. He's not just saying it. He's praying. He's coming before the Lord, and he's actually praying and asking God to do only what God can do. And as people, we have to be people of prayer. And I'll be the first to confess, right, that no one prays as much as they should or as much as they could, right? So let's just take that off the table of guilt. But all of us can pray more than we do. And, and we do not pray, not because um, we don't have time, but because we don't feel the need. Everything in your life that you do not pray for, you are saying, I can do on my own. 
I do not need the Lord's help. And everything you do pray for, you are saying, only by God can this ever, ever happen. We have to be people of prayer. And maybe you're saying, I don't even know how to pray. I, I just, I never even, it's the weirdest thing in the world. It is kind of weird. Let's just keep it real. But maybe what you do is you begin right here in verses 9 through 12, and you just say, here, here's a prayer. Lord, fill me with yourself. Help me live a life worthy of you. Now, that's a prayer God will answer. Now, I don't know where he'll take you, but it'll be far better than any place that you are now because he'll be with you. And so don't, don't feel like, oh, I need, to, I need to pray more. I need to... If grace comes into your heart, if you are looking into the heart of the gospel, it'll move you to pray like never before because you'll just say, the only way I can even unpack any of this is just to go to the Lord and just pray and ask him to fill me with more of himself, to pray like this for my friends and my neighbors and people around me that they would know, that they would say, Lord, help me, help me, help me, help me. The mark of your life will be determined by how you pray or by how you do not pray and that we would be people who just pray all the time. Lord, help me know you more. Help other people love me more. Grace, grace, grace will do that. Brennan Manning, who was a priest and just passed away, he wrote many, many, many books that I've just always loved. And in his final book, it's called All is Grace. And this is how he ends his final book. He puts it this way. My message, unchanged for more than 50 years, is this. God loves you unconditionally as you are and not as you should be. I love this. Because nobody is as they should be. It is the message of grace, a grace that pays the eager beaver who works all day long the same wages as the, gr the grinning drunk who shows up at 10 till 5, a grace that hikes up the robe and runs breakneck toward the prodigal, reeking of sin and wraps him up and decides to throw a party, no ifs, ands, or buts. This grace is indiscriminate compassion. It works, it works without asking anything of us. Grace is sufficient even though we huff and puff with all our might to try and find something or someone it cannot cover. At the end of it all, I have learned this. Grace is enough. Jesus is enough. It's all grace. It's all his gift. It's all his mercy. Would we be people that just say, Lord, would you fill me with that grace? Wherever I am, I want to experience more of that. This is all that I have, all that I need. And we could be people that would be able to sing, sing this. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we've already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far. And grace will bring us home. And grace will bring us home. When we've been there 10,000 years, we'll still be saying it was all God's grace. Man, let's be a church like that. We can be. Let me pray for us all. Father, I pray that you would fill everyone here with the knowledge of your will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that we may live lives worthy of you and please you in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of you, that we would be strengthened with all power according to your glorious might so that we may have great endurance and patience. Father, that we would give joyful thanks to you, you who have qualified us to share in the inheritance of your holy people in the kingdom of light. For you've rescued us from the domain of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son that you love in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of all of our sins. Father, help us know you more and live lives worthy of you. And remember, it's always grace. In the name of Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen.